Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. If you all will turn with me to the book of Exodus. CJ, if you can get me to where I need to be, because that is not it. Do you want to start over? Anybody want to start over this morning? There we go. Go right ahead. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Do we love our church this morning? Yeah. Do we love the Lord of our church this morning? Amen. It is good to serve such a great God. Well, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Chapter 18, Exodus chapter 18, if you want to stand with me, we're going to read in verse number two this morning. The Bible says this, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat the bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Would you all join me in prayer this morning? God, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we come to you with a thankful heart, how you are good, how your ways are good, how your word is good. And God, how I come before these folks, Lord, knowing, Lord, that I have nothing to offer to them. Lord, in fact, my words will harm and hurt them. And God, I'm asking that you would protect them from me this morning and my thoughts and my ways and my words. But God, how each of us in this place, Lord, need you and more of you and more of your word. And I ask this morning that you would just take control. God, I can do absolutely nothing without you. And I'm asking that my hands and my feet and my heart and my mind and my mouth, God, may all that I am be all of yours. God, may you do the work this morning. God, speak to hearts in a way that only you can. God, draw us near to you. Challenge us, Lord. May you do the heavy lifting. May you do all the lifting. God, how we need you. Oh, how we need you. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So as if we haven't spent enough time in the book of Exodus, here we are again. After three years, I just missed it so much. That was a joke, folks. That's as good as it'll get. All right. So Israel has been in the wilderness for, at this time, about a month. (laughs) A month. That means they got 39 years and 11 months to go. And already... Israel is murmuring. We got any murmurers among us? Amen. 
we find here in the desert, God's people were hangry. You ever get hangry? Does your spouse ever get hangry? Does your child ever get hangry? Amen. And the reason was that their stomachs growled and their minds went back to the bread of Egypt. Somehow their stomachs forgot to mention the whippings and the beatings and the bondage that was there, but they remembered the bread. And we find that God hears the cry of his people and he responds to the cry of his people. And we find here that God gives the most unique solution to their situation. Y'all answer me this this morning. You can answer out loud. What was Israel's need here? Food, hunger, hunger. Y'all know that very well. You know that need very well. What was their need? They were hungry. Is that a legitimate need? Is that a legitimate concern? Absolutely, Peyton. Yes, it sure is. It's not like they, they weren't asking for fine dining here. They weren't asking for flame and yawn, right? They just didn't want to starve to death in the wilderness. That's legitimate. They had hungry babies at home. They had elder, elderly parents at home who were feeble and weak, who needed substance. And so they had stomachs that were constantly reminding them of their lack of food and now finding themselves in the middle of the desert all alone, no McDonald's on every corner, no Grubhub, no DoorDash. Israel has one of two choices. Return to the bread of Egypt or rely upon God to give bread. That was it. That was the only options. And so God hears their cry. God hears their plea. And God says, I have just the thing. I, your God, will rain bread. Brilliant. Genius. Love it. Some of you are not nearly as excited about that as you should be. God rain bread. Thank you, Matthew. That's great. That's great. What we find is that the presence of this bread served Israel as a miraculous meal. Each day, Israel would have a need for food. And each day, God himself would miraculously meet that need by means of manna from above. Is there anybody at home this week who had an empty pantry? Is there anyone who couldn't find a crumb or a morsel to feed your children this week? Listen, folks, we got food in our cabinets, in our pantries, in our closets, in our fridge, in our freezer, in our Lazy Susan, in our basement, in our garage, in our lunch boxes, in our desks, in our drawers. We got food coming out of Wazoo. If there is one thing we cannot relate to, it's this. We have no need to be hungry. Can I get an amen? amen. We have stocked and stored and hidden and hoarded food all over the place. And yet, though our plates are never empty, although our stomachs never need growl, can I tell you, we live in a day of spiritual starvation like maybe never before. In the days of Israel, God's people had starving stomachs. Today, God's people have starving souls. We joke all the time around here about being Baptist and liking to eat so much. Can I get an amen? But that's totally biblical. 
Do you realize, it's almost humorous, do you realize the Bible mentions bread 410 times? 410 times! That is twice as many times as it mentions joy. Because bread brings joy. Amen. That is three times as many as it mentions hope. Bread! 410 times in the KJV Bible. Faith and food have always been intertwined, right? We remember in the Garden of Eden, what caused the downfall of all of mankind? Yes, food, apple, caused all of man to enter into sin. It was food here that caused Israel to murmur and complain in the desert. It was food that Jesus was tempted with in the wilderness. It was food. Jesus' first miracle was at a marriage banquet, a fellowship hall, if you will, We find that Jesus multiplies fishes and loaves. Before going to the cross, we find Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. After his resurrection, Jesus is on the seashore, and what's he doing? He's cooking fish. After the book of Acts, we find that what do they do daily in their homes? They broke bread together. Folks, bread, (laughs) faith and food. Y'all aren't nearly as excited. Listen. Thank you. Amen. And yet as Christians, do you all realize that our greatest need is not a physical hunger? Biblically, though you are in a physical world, we are spiritual beings. Do we understand this? Biblically, we exist in the eternal, though we dwell in the temporal. Your greatest need is not food on your table. Your greatest need is not a a roof over your head. It's not the clothes on your back. If you are a believer this morning, your first and foremost need as a Christian, a spirit-filled being, are your spiritual needs. You all do know you have spiritual needs. Some of you are finding that out for the first time this morning. Let me tell you, you have spiritual needs. Jesus said, set your heart on things above and not things below. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. He said, don't pack an extra coat. Don't even bring bread. Why, Jesus? Don't you care about our needs? Jesus tells us that he cares more for us than many sparrows. He knows our needs intimately And though he will provide for us physically, materially, his priority is our spiritual needs. He says, if you will devote to me your spiritual needs, I will provide your physical needs. So the question is this. If our greatest need is not physical, if it's not material, if our greatest need is a spiritual need, a spiritual starvation, the question is this. What do you feed a soul? Do they like eggs, bacon? Do they like cereal, oatmeal? What, what do you feed a soul? Do you want the microphone? You're doing a pretty swell job this morning. Someone had their Wheaties this morning. How do you keep a soul? How do you keep your spirit from starving? Jesus gives us his answer in John chapter 6. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, a feast of faith, a miraculous meal, Jesus says these words in John 6, 49. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. 
This is the bread that cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is what? My flesh, which I will give for life of the world. As the, father, as the living Father have sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Jesus says manna, mere physical bread, will leave you dead. You can eat physical food until you're stuffed, and yet eventually you will die. You can have your physical needs provided for. You can have your physical needs met, and yet eventually you will still die. Your fathers, Jesus says, they prioritized their physical needs. They ate manna. Their material needs were met, and yet they still died in the wilderness. And yet Jesus tells the crowd this day that God has sent another bread. He's raining bread from above again. This bread, this time, it's not physical. This bread is not sent to meet your material need. This bread, Jesus says, is eternal. If you partake of this bread, you'll live forever. Because this bread is a spiritual substance. In other words, after multiplying fishes and loaves for the 5,000s, after meeting their very real physical needs, Jesus tells these stuffed saints that he could easily continue making bread, and yet their greatest need was not physical. It was not material. Their greatest need was spiritual. God sent a spiritual solution to their spiritual problem. Do you all realize this morning that Jesus himself was sent to you as your spiritual solution to your spiritual problem? Do you all know that this morning? Our physical needs, listen, they are important, but they are not the priority. Do we realize that this morning? Physical needs, though able to be dealt with by God, are not the priority of God. This is not the reason Jesus was sent. Even though God can very well meet your physical needs, God's priori God prioritizes our spiritual needs above all else. Listen, folks, do you? Do you? If that was his priority, shouldn't it be our priority? How many of us pray continually for physical needs while remaining mum about our spiritual needs? That shows us our priorities, does it not? How many of us pray for our children, our grandchildren's physical, material needs, and yet we say nothing to God in regards to their spiritual needs? needs. Folks, do we have his priorities this morning? We devote all of our time, all of our effort to upkeeping the physical, what will one day pass away, while neglecting what Jesus tells us will be eternal, our souls. 
And so God's priority in our life is for you to be a spiritual being, a healthy spiritual being. And he has sent us a miraculous meal just for that need. Jesus proclaims this, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that God has miraculously sent from above. If you eat of me, you will live. But look at what Jesus says in verse 51. That bread that I give is what? My flesh. My flesh. Jesus says, if you eat of me, you will live by me. What do you feed faith? How do you sustain a soul? The Bible says it is the flesh of Jesus. This, of course, is why so many people that day walked away and followed him no longer. It was very offensive to them because they thought Jesus spoke of cannibalism. Do we know we don't believe in cannibalism around here? If you can amen nothing else this morning, please amen that. We do not believe in cannibalism as Christians. Amen. Okay. I'm in the right place. He was not talking about eating his literal flesh or drinking his literal blood here. So what was he speaking of? He was speaking of a spiritual sustenance. These bread believers walked away and followed him no longer because they were prioritizing the wrong need. They were occupied with the physical, thinking Jesus would provide for the material when God came to solve the spiritual. Jesus says the bread from above, God's answer to your spiritual problem, what your soul desperately needs is my flesh. So if Jesus is not talking about his actual skin here, what was Jesus talking about spiritually? What was his flesh? Well, you all know John chapter 1 which says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made, the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. Folks, what is the flesh of Jesus this morning? It's the word. God sends his word in the flesh and Jesus says, eat of it, live by it. Take the miraculous meal of my words daily as the spiritual sustenance of your soul. Partake of me, the living word, and you will never die. Take and eat. Devour my words and my life will be in you. Jesus says, God has sent me and I, Jesus, live by him. And if you eat of this bread, if it sustains your soul then you too will live by him. You too will be sustained spiritually by God himself, just as I, Christ, have been spiritually sustained by God himself. If you eat of me, the word of God, you will live by me, the word of God. So what do you feed a soul? The word of God. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. When tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, what? He's hungry, right? Jesus is tempted with hunger for 40 days in the wilderness. Look at what Jesus quotes. Jesus is tempted for 40 days. He's starving. And Jesus quotes this to Satan, Deuteronomy 3. And he humbled thee and and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know, know what? That man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth 
out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Look up here, look up here, look up here. Do you realize your soul needs something? Do you realize your soul has a spiritual need? If you are a Christian, then there is a spiritual sustenance that you very much need for your soul, and it is the word of God. Christians do not live by bread alone, though you wouldn't know it by looking at some of us. Christians do not live by bread alone. We are not kept. We are not sustained. We are not satisfied by the material world that we live in. As believers, we can only live by the very word of God himself. Jesus was a man the way that God intended men to be. Jesus came in the likeness and the image of God, the creator. It was the word of God that made Jesus successful as a man. It was the word of God that kept him from temptation as a man. It was the word of God within him that always made him obedient to the Father at all times. It was the word of God that fulfilled in the flesh and brought about the miracles in his life. Jesus only did that which the Father told him to do. He only went where the Father told him to go. He only said what the Father said to say. Why? Because of the word of God. And Jesus said this, if I do then you will do also. Jesus made the way so that you could walk in the way. If you partake of Jesus, the word, you will live by Jesus, the word. Can I get an amen this morning? Do y'all realize how abnormal it is for a person that does not want to eat? That's not normal. We agree on that. Uh, those of us who've worked in nursing homes, there's a handful of us this morning. We've seen end-of-life folks who just give up on eating. That's not normal. That's not a normal thing that takes place. People who have eating disorders and don't want to eat, that is not a normal human function. Listen, people want to eat. Amen? Amen. So it is with our soul. So it is spiritually, folks. If you do not have a hunger for the word of God, then something's wrong. Something's amiss. There's a problem over here. You have a spiritual eating disorder. You are spiritually malnutritioned because just like your physical body, your spiritual body was designed to partake of this miraculous meal, this bread from above. Do you realize this morning that your appetite or lack thereof can be proof of rebirth? Let me say that again. Do you realize your appetite or lack thereof for God's word either proves or denies that you have been born from above? I said this a few weeks ago in Bible study. This is actually a Spurgeon illustration, but it's just so, so wonderful. If up here on stage I have a bucket of slop, do we know what slop is? Slop. That, that cleared it up, didn't it? And on the other side of the stage, I got a steak and baked potato with butter oozing all over it. It's still steaming. There's probably a roll on the other side because, of course, bread. And at the back doors, we open up the doors, and there comes a pig running in my direction. Do you know he's going to go to the slop? Why? Because he's a pig. His very nature is drawn to slop. He has an appetite for slop. He sees nothing wrong with slop. However, if 
With the pig's head now in the bucket, I snap my fingers and all of a sudden that pig becomes a man. If he is transformed into a new creation, do you know that all of a sudden that man will be appalled by where his head is at? In the slop? That man is going to be disgusted by the very food the pig was just eating. Why? Because he's a man. He is transformed into a new creature who doesn't like slop. And his new creature has no appetite for slop. The man will stop eating the slop and he will be drawn to the steak and potatoes. Why? Because he's a man. He's been reborn, transformed into a new creation, a new creature from above. His appetites have been changed. No longer does he desire worldly food, slop, but he now has an appetite, a craving, a longing for the spiritual. Do we understand this? Your appetite for the word of God or your lack of appetite for the word of God speaks to your spiritual birth from above. Church, do you have an appetite for the word of God? Do you truly crave it, desire it, partake of it? If the answer is yes, you have been spiritually transformed. If the answer is no, you need to sincerely seek the truth of your spiritual state. Paul writes that to the world, the cross, the ways of God, it's foolishness. It's slop. Meaning no lost person is going to want that stuff. But to a new creature in Christ, you'll desire it. You'll crave it. You'll have an appetite for it. Look up here. Do you desire the word made flesh? Do you desire the bread sent from above? Are you partaking of it? Are you eating that which can be found nowhere else? Listen, being a Christian means finding your sustenance in him, the bread from above, the word made flesh. Ensure that you're in the faith, folks. Ensure that you are one of his. Just like in in John 6, those who found the word of God difficult to swallow went away sorrowful and followed him no more. They rejected God's word. They had no appetite for what Jesus said. They were bread believers more interested in the physical life, their physical needs, than their starving souls. But not only was a a miraculous meal, God sends Israel from heaven a mysterious meal. Look with me at verse 14. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing. (laughs) Is that good? Come on, that's good. Okay. As small as a hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna, for we wist not what it is. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And so Israel prays, they plead to God for their need. And God sends this small, round, frost-like substance which coats the ground like dew. Israel looks at one another, they look at the the manna on the ground, and they say, hmm, never seen that before. We'll call it manna, because we have no idea what it is. Moses replies to him, well, it's bread. It's, it's, It's the answer to your prayers. It's what God sent to you. Does anyone know what manna means this morning, what the word manna means? That's right. What is it? Isn't that great? Come on, that's great stuff right there. That's hilarious. That's great. 
How many of you, when you don't know the name of something, call it a whatchamagig, whatchamabob, thingamadoo, doodad, right? Why? Because we don't know what it is. That's what Israel does. Call it manna. Why? Because I have no idea what this stuff is. Manna means, literally, the word means, what is it? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this. This is just a little bit of Joshology. But no doubt, when Israel prayed to God, when they told God they were hungry, they were probably expecting some fresh ciabatta bread. Or some Fazoli's breadsticks, maybe. Or a warm croissant with butter. I don't know. They were expecting something a little more bread-like. Instead, God sends them a what is it? They woke up the next morning, and God answered their prayers, all right. But in a way they never expected. So much so that they looked at the very answer sent by God, and they called it, what is it? We prayed for food. We pleaded to God for our needs. We asked for an answer, and God gave us, what is it? Am I the only one here who feels that deeply? (laughs) Maybe I'm alone. Okay. We pray specifically. We are so certain that God is going to answer our prayers in a certain way. And yet when the answer finally arrives, we look at God and say, what is that? Can we admit that sometimes his answers are hard to swallow? What he sends to us is less than pleasurable, less than appetite. We have less than... Sometimes his answers are not enjoyable. He sends us, what is it? Sometimes we might get an attitude over a what is it he sends our way. Or maybe it's just me. Sometimes we mope, pout, fuss, have a temper. Because of the what is it God gives us. We might, we might want to pray for the manna away. We might be tempted to find or forge a better way for ourselves. We may tell God he's wrong and he needs to try again. And all the while God looks at us and this is what he says. I have given you what you need. This what is it is my answer to your prayers. Do we understand that God, the almighty creator, the sovereign deity that he is, He has a right to give you what you need and not what you want. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that this morning? Can I tell you, there are people calling themselves Christians, seeking him only for what they want, not for what he says they need. There is a big difference. God sent them what they needed, not what they wanted. God says, this what is it that you have no idea about, this curious, peculiar stuff that looks like, bleh. You need that, and I've sent it to you to meet your needs that you asked me to meet. We find in the text that God always, look at this, God always has a plan whenever he sends us a what is it. There's always a point here. Always a purpose to the what is it's. In verse 4, God says this manna from above, this what is it, has a purpose. By this what is it, I will prove my people. I will test them and try them to see if they will walk in my ways or not. Can we agree that God is not cruel? He's not mean. He's not a bully. He's not unfair. 
just like in Israel, whenever God sends you a what is it, he has a very good reason for doing so. No matter how unexpected, unusual, or uncertain that answer may be, rest assured it is a test for you. The what is it's are God's means to see if we are truly serving him in his ways or our ways. Whether we are leaning upon his understandings or our understandings. Whether he's our genie in a bottle here to grant our wishes or whether he is the Lord and the master and the owner of our lives for his wishes. He's testing to see if we'll bicker, complain, Resist, rebel against what he says we need. Folks, how are you reacting to the what is it? Do y'all still believe Hebrews 11.6? Even if you don't know what the verse is, you should say yes because you believe God's word. Yes, we do because he said it. Okay, what does Hebrews 11.6 say? Without faith, it is not difficult. It is not hard. It is not tough. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. We talked about this last month. Do you know what faith requires? A lack of sight. Meaning if you understand, you need no faith. By very definition, it is impossible to please God without faith. This is what faith says. Faith says God sees my need and his answers, though a mystery to me, They have meaning to him. Do y'all realize God doesn't owe you an explanation ever? Let me say that again. Do you realize God never owes you an explanation? That is some hard what is it to swallow. He never owes us an explanation. And yet faith says regardless of his purpose, he has sent it and so it has meaning It has reason, and I trust him. Faith scoops up, it eats, it partakes of the what is it, knowing that it is God's answer to what I have a need for. Faith trusts the way that God ultimately always works everything for his good. Even when it tastes sorry and lousy and unappetizing and inconvenient, faith says God always works it for good. I trust him, I believe it, even though I have no idea what it is. Faith sees the what is it as an opportunity to be tested and tried so that your faith can increase in value. If we're honest, receiving a what is it is not fun. Amen? Amen. Receiving the unknown is not fun. And yet what we find here in Israel is that they ate it for 40 years. 40 years of what is it every day. And the reason is they became accustomed to relying upon God to provide for their needs. They became accustomed to this mysterious meal, knowing it came from the hand of God. Eventually, this what is it became a necessity, a necessary part of their lives. So what is the correct response when you receive a what is it? Does anyone want to know the answer to that? What is the correct response to a what is it? Can you all say what is it for me? I'm having way too much fun with myself. Could you all say what is it for me this morning? One more time. Bonus points. One more time. 
how should we handle the things in our lives we just don't understand? In verse 15 and 21, Moses goes on to give Israel these instructions. Gather, eat, don't keep, repeat. That's what you do with a what is it. I didn't write it. That's his formula. Gather, eat, don't keep, repeat. And so the first thing that Moses tells Israel to do is to gather. Gather that which God has provided. In other words, what God has given them will be of no benefit unless they actually take it. That which God provided would not fall into their mouths on their own. It wouldn't be offered by osmosis. We find in verse 21, they had to go get the manna. They had to do something. They had to respond even when they didn't understand. In verse 21, we find that the hot sun would actually melt the manna if it weren't gathered. It's for this reason that Israel would have to stoop down, lower themselves, and gather the what is it every single day. Folks, do you all believe that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness? He has supplied the very answers for your spiritual needs. And yet every single time we receive a what is it as an answer, we are faced with this decision. Will we take it or will we leave it? The temptation a lot of times when we don't understand is to neglect, to resist, to forsake the very thing God's given to us, to sit on it, to think about it, to put it on the back burner, to think we know best, to think we can come up with a better solution, to think if we put it out of our mind, maybe he'll leave us alone. Some of you won't look me in the eyes right now. Listen, do you realize, just like manna from heaven in Israel, the what is it have a time limit on them? They have an expiration date. The provision of God, the very answers he sends to you, will pass away unless you go gather them. If we do not prioritize what God gives, listen, it will be gone. The hot sun, the toils of life will actually melt away what God has sent our way. And so just like Israel, we are called to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves. Listen, to actually admit that we have a need. Accept that we just don't understand. And yet in faith, gather the very thing God has given, regardless of your understanding. If God is speaking in your life, listen, if he is convicting you, if he is chastising you, if he's trying to change you, if he is leading you, if he is calling you, if he's trying to get you to step out in faith, listen, don't wait, don't hesitate, gather, go, run. Because if you don't prioritize what he has given, it will be gone. And so we find that we are called to receive the what is it. We are called to gather that which God gives. But then in verse 16, Moses tells them it's not enough to just gather the stuff, but you also have to eat the stuff. I mean, is that sort of obvious? Is that like, duh? Right? But he tells them you have to eat it. But think about this what was their problem? Hunger. They were hungry. 
They were starving. And yet as long as the gathered bread remained on the shelf, they were still starving, though they had gathered. And so Moses, knowing how literal Israel was, says, don't just gather it, eat it. You got to eat it. Do we have any picky eaters here this morning? Yes, I'm looking at you. It's not unusual if you have a little one at home. It's not unusual for a young child or 30-year-old to uh, see a plate of broccoli or spinach or whatever the case and look at mom and dad and say this, I am not eating that. Blech. What the kid's really saying is that although mom and dad know it's good for me, although they're telling me I need it, though it came from someone who loves me, I know better. I know that I won't like it, and I'm not going to eat it. Do we realize that's what we call a brat? <laughs> Am I right? That's what we call a brat. I love you, Amy. Or as God likes to say, rebellion which is next to witchcraft. I mean, what else would you call that? If mom and dad sets it before you says, you will eat this, and you say, no, I won't, that is rebellion. It is next to witchcraft, next to an occultish, evil, wicked, demented, demised thing that all of us would run away screaming for our mommies from. Rebellion. Not eating what God has put before you. To eat, to not partake, to resist, to refuse what God has given is to tell God, your heavenly father, he who loves you and knows best, I know better. I know I won't like it, and so I'm not eating it. Don't look up here, look down. We've all done that. All of us. And what you find is that God will chastise you if you are one of his. Because you're still starving spiritually, and that's the very need he's trying to meet. People around you might see you as a brat believer. Church, are you accepting the what is it's in your life? Are you accepting it because it came from him who loves you? If you are a Christian, then you will respond by doing what he says. Because he is your master, your owner, your Lord. In other words, God has the same policy that we have at our house. Eat it or starve. Not because he's cold, not because he's callous, not because he's cruel, but because he knows that you need what he has given. Jesus said, unless you eat of the bread, unless you partake of the bread, you will die. There will be no life in you. So many saints claim to be Christians. They gather, they read God's word, and yet they have not eaten. They have not placed into the innermost man. They have not digested, submitted to, surrendered to the word of God. The what is it's that he sends. So much so that the word of God has no nutritional value to their soul. 
They come to Sunday school, they might have their name on the roll, they may hear the message preached, but they refuse to change or move or surrender to scriptures. And so they're ignoring the very thing God has put before them. Death, Jesus says, you have yet to intake the word of God, and therefore there is no eternal life in you. The word of God is only as good in your life as your obedience to it. Read that again. The word of God is only as good as your obedience to it. You will get no benefit from reading, knowing, quoting the Bible if you've yet to submit to the Bible. Only that which you submit to will add to your spiritual strength. Do we believe that this morning? Does anyone besides Matthew believe that this morning? Folks, we don't get brownie points for reading this thing. We don't get gold stars when we quote it or know it. It's only when his word, the bread of life, the flesh of Christ, comes into the innermost man of who you are, when it is eaten and digested and placed within you, only then have you received spiritual sustenance. Only then have you been nutritionalized spiritually. Folks, are you eating the what is it? Are you digesting God's word sent by him as the answer to your spiritual need? Eat it. But Moses tells Israel, don't just gather it. Don't just eat it, but this one's important. Don't keep it. Is that odd? Aren't we supposed to keep God's word hidden in our heart? The answer is yes. Yes, we are. In verse 20, we find that Israel, well, they thought they could outsmart God. They thought they could rig the system. They thought they could do it in their own ways. And so the Bible says that as they gathered the leftover manna became stale, stagnant, stinky, rotten, rank. It bred worms. If Israel wanted to sleep in one morning, if they wanted to wait until the next day for bread, worms. If they wanted to grab up an extra bucket of manna in case God left them hanging the next day, it would sour and stink up the place. Moses says, don't keep what is it's lying around. Don't keep God's word left lying around. Because keeping around, listen, what was meant to be fresh is a bad idea. Just like Israel, God designed our soul with a need for fresh daily bread from above. Listen, anything less will breed death. Don't rely on stale bread. Don't try and stock up leftovers. Don't keep old sustenance around and feed it to your soul. There's no spiritual doggy bags, no spiritual freezer meals, no spiritual leftovers. Don't lean, listen, on what you were taught 50 years ago as the spiritual substance of your soul. It's stale. Don't keep old bread lying around. You need continual Ever new, fresh every morning, bread, word. What is it? The word of God should always remain fresh in your life. Can I get an amen? amen? The word of God should always remain fresh in your life. Anytime you find God's word stale, stagnant, boring, or dry, listen, the worms of this life have bread on your bread. That wasn't meant to be funny, but... 
if the word of God's not fresh in your life, there's a problem. That which you are leaning on spiritually stinketh. It rots. It is rank. It's unhealthy, unappetizing, dangerous even to your soul. How many people are getting spiritual food poisoning? Why? Because we're relying on that which he said don't keep. Folks, can you honestly say you are seeking fresh daily bread from above? Are you allowing God and his word to digest every day as the substance of your soul? If the answer is no, you're eating putrid bread. You are keeping old manna that will not sustain you and will in fact make you sick. Don't keep old bread. Do y'all believe in the free will of man? We're in a free will church right now, so it'd be a good idea for you to believe that at the moment. <clears throat> the truth of the Bible is this. We may have free will, but we do not get to choose the consequences of that free will. Meaning, you can gnaw on that dry old bread. You can keep around maggot-infested bread, but you don't get to choose the consequence of doing so. You can do as you please. You can obey or disobey. You can ignore or do what he said, fail test, fail the test, flunk the trial, but you don't get to choose the results of doing so. Israel gathered manna. They ate the manna, but they still decided to do so in their way. And as a result, there were maggots in the manna. Folks, are you serving God in his ways or your ways? Your answer to that question is so important. Are you claiming his name while living for your purposes? God told Moses and he tells us today, don't keep your old bread ways. Lean on my ways. But lastly, Moses tells Israel, gather, keep, no, gather, eat, don't keep, but then he tells them to repeat. The Bible says that every morning Israel gathered as much as they could eat. Unlimited buffet in Israel of what is it? What is it for you and for you and for you and for you? Gather as much as you could eat every morning. Why? Because every day they were hungry. Right? Every day are you hungry? Yeah, uh-huh. And so every day they had to gather more. Why? Because every day they were hungry. Every day their bodies had a need, a necessity for more substance. Gathering and eating bread on Sundays wouldn't cut it. Gathering and eating bread once a week wasn't enough. Moses tells Israel that God would provide for their need every single day if they would repeat the process. Do y'all realize how easy it is to become lazy and lethargic in feeding your faith? In spiritually sustaining your souls? Listen, I live in the same world you all live in. Swell, right? It is so easy to let this world distract us, to allow our minds to become full, our lives become so hectic that it feels like reading the Bible, knowing God, obeying his word, submitting to the what is it? Well, it's just one more thing on the list. It's just one more on the pile, the straw on the camel's back. And yet the problem is not with the food. The problem was not with the meal. The problem is not with the manna. The problem is not with the manna maker. 
The problem is with our appetite. Listen, look up here. If we are full of this world, if we are full of the bread of Egypt, that which we've been saved out of, we will have no appetite for spiritual sustenance that God has given us the solution for our needs. Do you believe that this morning? If you are too full of this world, you will not crave this. If you are too wrapped up in the bread of Egypt, that which you were saved out of, that which will perish and fall and, and burn and away, you will have no desire for this. You'll never repeat. You'll never have a daily hungering and thirsting for his word. You'll never find spiritual satisfaction because you're already full. Some people rely on, on what the preacher says on Sunday as their only spiritual need for the entire week. But by Monday morning, it's dry and crunchy and tastes foul and absolutely has no spiritual substance left for their soul. God's word, daily fresh bread, is void in their life because it remains untouched, unopened, unused, unabsorbed. Their souls return to starvation, even though God has given them the very solution that they needed. Repeat, God says. Repeat. Go back, gather, eat, don't keep again. Repeat. Ask yourselves this. Are you coming back to God daily for the nutrition of your soul? Are you regularly spending time with him and his word? Are you repeating the spiritual fulfilling that he gives? Are you coming to him daily for your much needed nutrition? I know you all pretty well. You wouldn't go a week without eating real food. Am I telling the truth? Uh-huh. Then why do we with our souls? Listen, your soul needs substance. And he's given it to you. The Bible says this. Do you all believe that one day we're going to stand before Christ? Do you believe that one day we're going to give an account when we stand before Christ? Imagine one day you're standing there before him. And you realize when we get to heaven, our physical bodies will be gone. Do we know that? They'll be up there on the hill. If you're going to be buried there, wherever. Maybe it'll be in a jar or wherever. This will no longer exist. Amen? Which means what? As we stand before him, what are we standing as? Our soul. That's what we're given an account for. The health of that, not this. Amen? And imagine Jesus looks at you and he sees your soul standing there anorexic and skinny, ribs and bones. And he asks you, I provided for your starvation. I gave you everything you needed for you to be well, nutritionalized, to be fat as a soul. What's the problem? Give an account. Explain yourself. Why did you refuse the bread? The what is it from above? You have no excuse, no reason, no validation for your starving soul because I, your God, have given you everything that you need. Church, what are you doing with your what is it from God? We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. 
You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.